0: Welcome to Office Hours, a social science podcast produced by the Society Pages at the University of Minnesota. Join us for conversations with prominent scholars, writers, and researchers as we discuss their ideas. In this episode, we talk to Leida Hong Fincher, the first American to receive a PhD in the Department of Sociology at Tsinghua University in Beijing. Her book, Leftover Women, The Resurgence of Gender Inequality in China, explores the way in which gender inequality has reasserted itself in China today, by looking at laws, the housing market, and the way that women are talked about publicly. In this episode, we discuss gender norms in home buying, marriage laws, privatization of housing in China, and the meaning of the phrase, leftover women. Leita Hong Fincher, welcome to Office Hours. Thank you for having me. To start, could you tell us a bit about what got you interested in studying gender inequality in China?
1: Um, Sure. It it actually started with an interest in um, studying why Chinese were so obsessed with buying homes. So I was looking at real estate agencies in Beijing, first of all. Um, and I did an ethnographic study of these real estate sales transactions and then I noticed there were very strong gender norms in home buying. And then in August 2011, the Supreme People's Court in China issued a new judicial interpretation of China's marriage law and this was a huge deal. It was very controversial at the time. Um, because essentially it said that from from then on, if your name is not on the property deed of the marital home, then in the event of a divorce, you don't get to keep the property. And before this, the marriage law basically considered marital property to be common property. So that's how I ended up really focusing on, gender norms and home buying, and looking at how men and women divided up you know, their contributions to the home and the enormous role of buying a home and getting married. Um, and, and then I came upon this term, shengnyu, or leftover women, um, when I was interviewing these young women who were getting married and buying homes.
0: That makes a lot of sense. In some of the things you've written in newspapers and other things, you talk about backsliding of earlier gender equity efforts in China. So, could you um, talk about what you see as driving the backsliding of those earlier gender equity efforts in China?
1: Yes. I mean, um, overall, gender inequality has really increased in a wide range of areas. And it really started with the onset of market reforms at the beginning of the 1980s. Um, So in the early communist era, gender equality was a key platform of the Communist Party. Um, It was a rallying cry of the communist revolution. And so the party really held up these images of women as being completely equal to men. And of course Mao Zedong has this very famous saying that women hold up half the sky. Um, And there were concrete policy initiatives to back up the rhetoric. Um, So, for example, in cities, women were assigned jobs. They were also assigned managerial jobs alongside men. And the idea was that women were supposed to contribute to the workforce so that they could build the country's economic development. Um, And in many ways, since the onset of market reforms at the beginning of the 1980s, the planned economy is being dismantled and so have a lot of the structures that really helped women in the workforce. So um, there, I mean, it's very complicated. I'm not going to get into all of it. Um, but one of the things that was dismantled was subsidized housing. And that's what I really focus on, the privatization of housing in China. Um, so ever since 1998, um, Chinese people have been encouraged to buy homes on the private market. And there's been this real estate boom that's resulted in astronomic home prices since the mid-2000s. And this real estate boom has severely disadvantaged women in many ways, and that's something that I explore in my book.
0: Thank you. Um So you've pointed out that it's common practice for married couples in China to register property only in the husband's name, um, and that the reason for this seems to fall on concerns about the husband's ego. That idea seems really foreign to me, so can you talk more about how that came to be and why it's so powerful?
1: Sure. Actually, it's very complicated. Um, In some cases, it may have to do with preserving the husband's sense of masculinity, um, but that's really just one small part of a very complicated series of factors. Um, so, first of all, there was a one off transfer of a lot of subsidized housing from work units to their employees around the late 1990s. But then, with the onset of the real estate boom, um, it was men who tended to acquire a lot of properties. Um, and there there are many factors at, at play here. One is that there's the norm that men are supposed to be the homeowner. So there's a widely held belief that um, men who don't own a home will not be able to attract a bride. And across China, parents tend to believe this. So parents of sons will tend to really focus on saving um, all their lives to buy a house for their son, or more than one son if they have more. So in the study that I did, um, I found that when there was a son and a daughter, um, that parents almost uniformly would buy a home for the son and not for the daughter. And in fact, I didn't come across a single case out of a total sample of 283 people where parents bought a home for their daughter and not their son if their son was of marrying age. Um, It was shockingly consistent. But then I also found um, quite a few cases of Um, even daughters who didn't have brothers, where their parents um, decided to invest in their nephew's home purchase, because the the nephew is considered a a strong part of the extended family. Um, And it, it wasn't that, you know, parents didn't love their daughters, it's just that there's this very strongly held belief that the man is supposed to have a home, and particularly if he's single, parents worry that he will never find a bride if he doesn't own a home. Um, in part, this is due to China's sex ratio imbalance. So there are many more men in the population than women. So that's one, just one of the reasons why women have really missed out on this tremendous accumulation of residential property
0: wealth. Has this tradition of men owning the home in order to get married, is that a long-standing tradition in China, or is it something that has come up more recently?
1: Well, the thing is, I mean, men were long considered the head of the household. This is sort of a historical tradition in China. Um, But once you have market forces enter the equation, um, that completely changes things financially. So um, since the onset of the real estate boom, home prices have really only taken off over the past decade or maybe decade and a half, depending on which city you're looking at. So um, so in in the past, homes were allocated by the work unit, by the employer, and homes were basically worth nothing or very, very little money. Um, But now homes have gone in a very short period of time from being worth practically nothing in the late 1990s to being worth over 30 trillion US dollars at the end of last year. And during that period um, by and large men have been the ones who have been accumulating residential property wealth. And so one of the ways is that parents tend to buy homes for their sons and not for their daughters. Um, Another way is that, and this is where the stigma of being a single educated urban woman comes in, that being so-called a leftover woman, is that there's this, ever since 2007, there's been a very strong um, state media campaign That is stigmatizing urban, educated women over the age of 27 who are single. Um, And in in fact, I've found that there are women in their early 20s who are very concerned about not finding a husband. So that ends up creating a new source of pressure on women who may be very well-educated, extremely intelligent, who have landed a good job, and so they have... Um, a decent amount of savings. But um, because homes are so expensive, these women can't afford to buy a home on their own. They have to depend on their parents' help or, you know, somebody else's help. So um, since the man's family tends to save a lot of money to buy a home, then the man's family tends to have more money in the home or going towards the home than the woman. So I found a lot of examples of educated young women in their twenties who would transfer their life savings over to their boyfriend to finance the purchase of a really expensive home that was then only registered in the man's name. And I was really baffled at first. Why would women consent to leaving their name off the property deed when the home is by far the most valuable asset in the marriage? Um, and I found that one of, one of the key factors um, was this intense marriage anxiety on the part of women that, that they really believe that if they don't get married by the time they're 30, um, that it's going to be very hard for them to find a husband. Um, and then they're also pressured by their parents. So even if the, the women really want their name on the deed and they may fight hard with their boyfriend or fiancé to register their name on the deed, their own parents may be telling them, stop fighting with your boyfriend or he's going to walk away. Um, And so unfortunately I found a lot of women who would, even if they fought for their rights initially, would time and time again just back down in the end for fear of driving away a potential marriage partner.
0: So most people probably aren't thinking about their rights in a potential divorce when they get married, but clearly not doing so has huge consequences for women in China. Do you think there's anything that could change those attitudes, or how how would that work?
1: Yes. Um, Well, the new interpretation of the marriage law in 2011 um, has been widely perceived by women in China to mean that they will no longer have a claim on the marital property if their name is not on the deed. So I mean, the law is very complicated, actually. Um, And the law actually says that if you can prove your contribution, your financial contribution to the purchase of the home, then if you divorce, you're entitled to the amount of money that you put back, plus the appreciation and the, the value of the property. It's very, very complicated. But the fact is that um, I did not encounter women who kept detailed financial receipts about their contribution to the to the marital property. Also, this whole notion that a woman is supposed to produce a receipt to show that she's contributed is inherently sexist because money is fungible. So um, it, there are so many different ways in which men can prove that um, they contributed to monthly mortgage payments, for example, so their name is actually on the bank statement, but then the man's living off his wife's salary, for example, and then she doesn't have proof that she directly contributed to the home, or if the woman is not working for pay, you know, she doesn't have a claim to the home. There are so many different ways in which this new interpretation is overly simplistic and really hurts women's property rights. Um and also just the fact that Chinese women by and large perceive the law as meaning they don't own the property unless their name is on the deed, that means that they're they're never even going to to sue, they're never even going to take it to court because they themselves don't believe that they actually own the property. So, so the um, but as for the future, um, I think in uh, in another uh, respect that the change in the law will also alert more women in the future to the fact that it's very very important to get their name on the property deed. So, I would expect that more and more women. Are going to really insist that their name is on the property deed and um, crucially the parents of women will also recognize it's really important to get their daughter's name on the property deed. Um, so I would I would expect in the future that more women are, are going to end up having their names on the
0: property deeds. So then what Can your findings tell us about other forms of inequality in China?
1: Well, um, I argue that there's been a broad resurgence of gender inequality in China since the onset of market reforms. This is certainly not just my own research. There's been a lot of research um, looking at different facets of you know, equality between men and women, um, you know, the gender income gap has really widened dramatically according to official statistics. Um, there's of course the property wealth, which I'm looking at, um, which I think is extremely important because Chinese, most Chinese have nowhere else to put their money except in residential property. Um, there's there have also been some new signs of a decline in female labor force participation, particularly in the cities, and this is a very worrying trend. Um, but because of the communist legacy of you know very high female labor force participation, that that still isn't showing up so much in the aggregate statistics. Um, but there's widespread gender discrimination against. Uh, in, in many forms, gender discrimination in hiring and promotion, um, very lax enforcement of laws that on the books protect women's rights, but the laws are not properly enforced. Um, there's still no targeted law on domestic violence, which is a huge epidemic in China. And a lot of feminist activists and scholars have been pushing for this law for over a decade, and it still hasn't been passed. Um, there, there's the leftover, so-called leftover women media campaign, which is which is new. That didn't start until 2007. Um, that's a new initiative that's effectively telling educated women to stop working so hard and to focus instead on finding a husband and returning to the home. Um, And then, if you look at higher education, there have been new gender-based quotas favoring the admission of men to certain university programs, and this is all part of what I think is a backlash against recent tremendous educational gains by women. So, um, And this is one really bright spot, is women's education. So there are more women enrolled at the bachelor's and master's level in China now than men. And the official uh, statistics also say that women are outperforming men at university. But as a result of that, there's been a real backlash against educated women. And uh, and I think that this so-called leftover women media campaign is part of that backlash.
0: So then... One more question related to that. How does the situation for women in China relate to that in other Asian countries or the U.S. or elsewhere?
1: Well, certainly there's gender inequality around the world in many different forms. Um, what uh, What is particularly interesting to me is to look at marriage in mainland China compared to... Um, particularly among educated women. If you look at the statistics in neighboring regions in East Asia, in Japan and Singapore and South Korea, Taiwan, um, Hong Kong, educated women have significantly delayed their age um, at at first marriage. And, And more and more women are just not marrying at all. These are significant changes in the statistics. So um, I think that the Chinese government is, well they're certainly fully aware of the demographic changes around them. And the Chinese government is very concerned about these newly educated women in the mainland delaying marriage to further their educations to advance their, their careers. And the government is really concerned about getting these women to marry and have a child. Um, it's actually when I was looking into the origins of the term shengnyu or leftover women, I found that China's State Council issued a population decision, a new policy um, in early 2007, saying that China had a real problem with the so called population quality and that it needed to so-called upgrade population quality. And so the people considered to be the highest quality um, are women with a higher education. Um, So I don't think it's an accident that the government, on the one hand, says we urgently need to upgrade population quality, and on the other hand, they're focusing on the highest So, to speak, highest quality educated women in the country and pushing them into getting married and lowering their standards and into hurrying up and marrying and having a child for the good of the nation. Um, But I think this is really short sighted because, in the long term, you know, China's economic growth is already slowing, and in the long term, this is just going to hurt economic growth even further by pushing educated women out of the workforce or making it much more difficult you know creating tremendous new obstacles for women to succeed in the workforce Um, and you can contrast what the Chinese government is doing with the the Japanese government or the South Korean government because they also have problems with um, low female labor force participation particularly after women have children. Um, But the Chinese government hasn't said anything about that. They're much more concerned in China with preserving social stability, promoting marriage, and getting these educated women to have children.
0: Leida Hung Fincher, her new book is Leftover Women, The Resurgence of Gender Inequality in China. Leida, thanks for stopping by office hours. Thank you for having me.